We'll see if the voice holds up. We'll hope for it. I may not be quite as loud, though, as I like to be because of that. And I may be drinking water in the process of that as well. (laughs) And don't laugh, because then I'll start coughing for sure. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1 was a beautiful picture of the vast superiority of Jesus. That we have the Son who has come and He has declared the final message of God to the world. The Son was appointed heir of all things and through Him the world was created. The Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His very being. And then He made purification for sins. He sits down at the right hand of God. And one of the amazing pictures is that He maintains and sustains the world by His powerful Word. And all of those pictures that are given to us in who Jesus is, the writer of Hebrews tells us that this essentially is a word of exhortation. The point of this book is to be a book of encouragement, to speak to them and encourage them to maintain their faithfulness to God. And as we come into the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, we receive one of the first warnings that you get in this book. He gives you all of this confidence and hope and encouragement about who Jesus is. And then he stops and says, now I want to cause you to watch out for something. Uh, I want you to be careful and I want you to pay attention. And notice that's what he does in verse 1. Therefore, we must must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In the past, God spoke through the prophets in many times and many ways. Now God has spoken through His Son, and it is to that message that we are to pay much closer attention. Since Jesus is superior, and He brings a superior message then how much more attention needs to be paid to it is essentially the beginning point of this paragraph. Since we have a superior Jesus who brings a superior message, we all the more need to pay careful attention. In fact, the idea of paying careful attention is something that God warns the people to do again and again throughout the book of of Numbers, of Deuteronomy, of all the Old Testament, really of all of Scripture. One of the things we'll get to see when we start the Deuteronomy series in 2019 is how often you're going to have Moses say, I want you to listen, and I want you to remember. Over and over again, he's going to say that. And listening doesn't mean like sometimes how we do listening, like I hear the words floating through my eardrums, But listen always means hear it and do it. Like if you told your children, I want you to listen up, that isn't just simply hear this, but do what I'm about to tell you to do. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is saying at this moment, is that we need to pay attention, to hear, to listen, because there is a grave warning that lies ahead. In fact, We touched on it a couple of weeks ago when we were rounding out the end of Hebrews 1. And it is the warning of drifting. You see that there in in verse 1. That we pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. It's important to keep in mind. Life is never pictured as a lake. 
it's always pictured as a river. If you're going to float, you're going to float the wrong way. And you're not going to just float in place. It never works that way. And so often we take our spiritual condition before God as something that is static. As something that you can just either stand in place right here and you're not going forward, but you're not going backward. And that is a picture that is never expressed in the Scriptures. There are only one of two options. You are either with effort swimming and pushing and striving toward God or you are drifting away. You're not standing in place. You're never right there in the same spot that you were yesterday. You're always moving. And you're either moving toward Him or you're moving away from Him. And this is the essence of the warning that is being given to us and it should resound into our ears very loudly. Without paying much careful attention, to use the words of verse 1, your spiritual condition is deteriorating. If we are not paying careful attention, the result is always a deterioration of the spiritual condition. Or to use his words, we're drifting away. That will always happen. Sometimes we think that's not the case. And this is why this warning is sitting here right now. Is that is exactly what happens. And what we're going to look at then in these four verses this morning, as we consider our condition, and I hope you'll think about where you are with God, and are you stronger with Him, or have you been being pulled back and drifting away? As you would consider this warning, and consider where you are. Because here He puts forward the idea. There must be a greater attention that is paid. For if we do not pay close attention, then we will certainly drift. I'd ask you to think about that idea just for a minute before we move on. Have you noticed that in your life? Because I, I find that all the time. You notice when you stop pressing toward God... You stop paying careful attention to the things of God. Have you noticed how quickly your spiritual condition deteriorates? It's rapid. It's shockingly rapid. Just a little bit of letting up. Just a little lack of intensity. Just a little less paying attention. And it is amazing the amount of deterioration that happens. We've all experienced it. This is what the writer of Hebrews is awakening our attention to. And we must pay careful attention to this message. Now as he he lays that out, I want you to see what he does with that to to emphasize that. In verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. So he begins by saying, there's this message that was declared by angels that proved to be reliable. And you say, what is he talking about? What message is this that was spoken by angels, declared by angels and proved to be reliable? 
We, we don't get it in Exodus 19 or 20. We don't realize it there. But Deuteronomy 33, as well as a couple of places in the New Testament, tells us that the law of Moses was delivered by angels. And you might recall that's why there's so much time spent in Hebrews 1.5 to the end of that chapter talking about the superiority of angels. We talked about hold them in high regard. Nothing in that chapter is for you to denigrate them, but to hold those angels in high regard and recognize they delivered an important and glorious message, the law of Moses, and that message proved reliable in that Every disobedience and every wrongdoing, everything that they did, their transgression received a just retribution. We've studied through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers together. And I hope that you will think about that that is absolutely emphasized in those books again and again and again, isn't it? In the book of Exodus, we got to see this repetition about that you would do everything according to the pattern. Do everything exactly as I say. Do not deviate from it slightly. The book of Leviticus is the book of holiness. You are to be holy because God is holy. You need to follow the standard that He's laid out. The book of Numbers, we see the first ten chapters. Everything is going well. They're doing exactly as God says. And when they stop doing as God says, what happens? We have a whole generation fall in the wilderness. The writer of Hebrews is relating to that history and saying the message of the law of Moses proved reliable. Every disobedience received a a, a due punishment. It's just reward. And I think it's important for us to think about the basis of that. Is that you would have your mind fixed on Mount Sinai and think about the giving of the law and think about how glorious that message is. It's delivered by angels, which is important in and of itself. And every message was reliable. It's disobedience that was found in it was then considered to be proven that there would be a disobedience and a just punishment that would come from that disobedience. But don't forget what else made that scene so glorious. Perhaps one of the most shocking things that you see in all that. So if you remember in Exodus 19, what God said is He's going to come down and basically reveal Himself to the people. He's coming down on the mountain and Moses was going to bring the people to meet God. And you might remember how that went when they met God. As God then speaks the Ten Commandments and the trumpet sound is blaring and growing stronger and the mountain is shaking and the mountain is on fire and there is smoke and cloud comes down, the people just absolutely are terrified and tell Moses, don't let God do that again. You go up to God, you talk to Him, and you come back and tell us what He says and we will do it. It's it's a glorious scene. It's a powerful scene. And I want you to have all of that firmly in your mind in terms of the, the greatness of here is the law of Moses delivered by angels and every message that's given in that and its disobedience and in its punishments and all of those things are all reliable just as God said. 
and it's glorious there in Mount Sinai. And then the writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see what the writer of Hebrews does is he goes from what seems to be great and makes that a lesser and says, here is something even greater. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I want you to notice that essentially the writer of Hebrews is calling for a focus upon the salvation message that's revealed in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is saying, here is the message, law of Moses delivered by angels. And now you have a message that was not delivered by angels, but delivered by the son himself. And there needs to be a focus on that salvation message delivered by Jesus. Now, there is a word here that I think is particularly interesting in in verse three. A a simple word is here is this this call for us that we need to pay careful attention to this message that we have heard, this message of the son. And what is the temptation? What is the warning? Neglect. It's an interesting word that he uses that you would not neglect this great salvation. Notice the warning is not, you are going to willfully reject this great salvation. That's not what his concern is in this discussion. He's not concerned that you are going to wake up one day and shake your fist at God and say, I don't believe in him anymore and walk away. That's not where the concern is at. Rather, the concern is neglect. And I want you to think about the word neglect for a minute. Because neglect has the idea of forgetting all that God has done. We simply neglect it. The idea of neglect is this. That we are willing to do anything else and everything else and desire anything else and everything else except have a zeal and intensity for our Lord and Savior Jesus. That's the idea of neglect. As I read that verse, and I pondered that sentence, I thought about how absolutely crazy it is that there are so many things that we show to be more important than this salvation message from the Son. How many things that we pay much closer attention to than this message. I just sat there and thought about how crazy it is that sitting on the couch and watching something as senseless as television, playing games on our devices, reading people's statuses online, resting, sleeping, being entertained, all of these things we will pay much closer attention to. And the message of Jesus receives neglect. It is an interesting thing to be thinking about. And I just thought we ought to probably be shocked at ourselves. 
how quickly we neglect what we have for such foolishness of the world, for such selfish desires and selfish pursuits of, well, I want to relax and I want to take it easy and I want to be comforted and I want entertainment. What our problem is, is that we would much rather enjoy this life than enjoy Jesus. That's ultimately what the reality is. We are far more interested in enjoying this life than we are enjoying Jesus. And I mentioned our problem that we saw in chapter 1 is ultimately that's a loss of awe of who God is. We are far too impressed with our stuff, our technology, our comfort, our entertainment, and not impressed with the things of God. In fact, when we think about this word neglect a little bit more, I would like for you to be very raw, real, and honest with yourself for a minute. Think about what are the things that you neglect and why do you neglect them? Why do you neglect the things that you do neglect? What's the ultimate reason behind it? Why do we choose to neglect certain things? Pick whatever thing you think it is in your life. And I hope you're coming to a reality that the reason we choose to neglect things is because we do not hold them as valuable. It's not important. That's why I neglect it. Why do I neglect my car? I don't care. Why do I neglect my yard? I don't care. With things that you neglect, you are ultimately within yourself making a decision that says, that's not valuable to me. That's not important. We like to make excuses when someone calls us out on it. We'll say, well, I was too busy, but we're never too busy for things that are important. We choose to neglect the things that we do not value. We put it way down at the bottom of the list. And we will carry out 40 other items on the list because those things are not valuable. That's why we neglect things is simply it's not important. That's the hard reality of what the writer of Hebrews is doing with this word. Neglect. Do not neglect. That we are making a statement about what we think in regards to this salvation message. You understand then the writer of Hebrews why he would speak of it in such harsh terms that when we are neglecting this salvation, this great salvation, what we are ultimately doing is we are despising the revelation of God and we are treating it as nothing. We are looking at this and we are saying it doesn't really matter. It's not very valuable. Oh well. I'm far more fascinated with the things of this world. I'm far, have far more joy in the things of this life. My television's far more important. My couch is far more important. My house is far more important than the salvation message. That's why I neglect this and pay attention to everything else. The hard truth of the matter is we do not neglect the things that we value. We do not neglect our spouses because we value them. We do not neglect our jobs because we value them. The things we value, we do not neglect. The things we neglect are the things that we simply do not value. And I would suppose if we were to ask the question, we would say, Oh no, I do care. These things are very important. But our actions say otherwise, don't they? 
Our actions reveal what we value and what is important. Our actions reveal what matters most. It's as simple as that. And we can sit down and take a very easy inventory of life and look at the time spent in it and simply determine what do you value and what do you not value? What's important to you and what's not important? It's a very easy sheet to fill. Because we do what we value and we esteem what is important and we neglect the things that are not. The writer of Hebrews comes in strongly and says, do not neglect this great salvation. In fact, he asked the question. In fact, let's just pull that whole sentence together. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see where he moves us. The salvation message that we have was declared by the Lord Jesus, not by angels and not by Moses. It's vastly superior to the prior message that was given. The salvation message, then notice, is confirmed by those who directly heard it as it was spoken by the Lord. Look at the rest of verse 3. It was declared at the first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The salvation message is so great, not only did the Lord Himself speak it, the Son who declared this great message, it's confirmed by those who heard it. We would imply the apostles as they heard that message and then God confirmed that message all the more with signs and miracles and wonders and even the dispensing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All these things confirming the value and the high nature of the salvation message delivered by the Son. Which, allow me a quick aside because it's a very important one as you read this here. Notice that it is worth pointing out that the salvation message is distinct from the miracles and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit and signs and all of that. Signs and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, those were only given as a confirmation of this salvation message declared by the Son. You don't need those today. They're not relevant today. They were confirming at that time what the Son had spoken, that the apostles had heard themselves, and they're proving that message to be reliable. There's no need to keep proving that. It's been proven reliable. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Do you understand the high value of what has happened? We've noted this so many times in our studies. Miracles never point to themselves. We've seen that in Mark. Not a single miracle that Mark records for us regarding Jesus is that you would sit there and go, wow, what a neat miracle. There was always a spiritual idea to it. There was always a spiritual message. It was a confirmation of the testimony of who Jesus is. Now, why we must pay more careful attention. If the law of Moses proved reliable, 
And it was delivered by angels. And every disobedience and every transgression received its just punishment, its just retribution, its just reward. I want you just to hear the words that are coming into that phrase. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Do you feel the weight of that question? It's an unbelievable weight. He just goes, and now what do we suppose of us who have received things that are of infinitely greater value and superiority to what those in the past had heard? But let me turn this a little bit another direction. Because I think it's very interesting in verse 3 again. How shall we escape if we neglect? Notice he doesn't just say it's a salvation. How will we escape if we neglect this salvation? That would be strong enough. But I think it is interesting that he says it is a great salvation. The idea behind it is that it is so magnificent. It is so wonderful that you would not ever ignore it or neglect it. It is something that is so great, so wonderful, so desirable that you would never neglect it. It is a great salvation. It's not a salvation. It is a marvelous salvation. Please think of it like this. Right now, what I'd like for you to do, I've never asked anybody to do this before. First time in 20 years of preaching. I want you to think of your favorite food. (laughs) I want you to think of your favorite food. I don't care if it's unhealthy. It's okay today. Favorite food. A food that you find so delicious and so desirable. Can you imagine me coming to you and saying, I do not want you to neglect that food. I'd be like, done and done. (laughs) I'm in. That is a food I desire, and tell me not to neglect it. Bring it on. Casey made the report the other day. He said, I think you eat tacos for lunch every day. I said, I think I could, too. I could just keep on eating tacos. You can't wear me out on Mexican. You can't. Not possible. I go to a gospel meeting in, in El Paso. We eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, my dad and I. We won't stop. It's just unbelievable. I say, well, don't you want to go somewhere else? We go, no, we don't. Take us there again. It's great. You don't have to tell me, now don't neglect that great great food. Done. I'm in. Get the idea? Friends, you shouldn't have to wonder about neglecting something as desirable and enjoyable and great and magnificent and wonderful and amazing as a great salvation. That's why he calls it like that. That He's setting up something that just ought to be impossible. You're neglecting something that is wonderful. That doesn't make any sense. I shouldn't have to say, don't neglect a great salvation. It stands on its own. It's a great salvation. It is marvelous. It is desirable. It is pleasant, enjoyable. It is everything to our lives. And I think it's just interesting then to consider that idea. Because here he's just giving us this picture that it should be our greatest longing and our greatest desire to pay much closer attention 
to this great salvation. It should just absolutely be obvious to us. In fact, I find it fascinating that we live in a culture right now, society today, we do it ourselves, even in our, in our own midst as Christians. It, we, we're looking for life change, right? We want transformation. We want God to intervene and, and, and change us. But we don't like how God calls for that to happen. We want to just kind of stand there and let it fall on us. And, oh, look at me, I'm suddenly changed. I want you to notice that this transformation, this change of heart of who you would be and how that would just ultimately change everything about your life, about your outlook, about how you see the world. It is found in the message of Jesus and not anywhere else. We are neglecting the means by which God has said you can enjoy life and be radically changed for His glory. We neglect it for the couch, for the job, for the devices, for the entertainment, for the TV. We neglect it. We say Bible class is not that valuable. Prayer, not that valuable. Reading God's Word, not that valuable. Worship, not that valuable. These things are not valuable to us. And what we don't understand is we're neglecting our greatest joy. To put it in like layman's terms, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. That's what we've done. By neglecting the great salvation message, we are wrecking everything. And then we can't figure out why everything's wrecked. I'll tell you why everything's wrecked. You're not paying much closer attention to the message. And we talked about drifting a month ago. Drifting is imperceptible. You just... And it's not until you finally look and get your bearings that you realize how far you've gone. This is the big concern that he has. Life change, holiness, transformation, hope, peace, rest, comfort, eternal life, relationship with God. All of these things are found through the mechanism of paying careful attention to the message that was delivered by the Son. To try to find it any other way is going to be a failure. And to wish for that transformation and change of heart and life, peace, hope, rest, comfort, all that, through any other means is just going to be a failure. And we wonder why things are a disaster. And here is the writer saying, here's why it's a disaster, is that we are not paying the attention that we need to pay to. We are failing to see that we are neglecting our greatest joy. Let me ask this as we come to the end. How is that possible? You know, if you thought in your mind, Snickers is the greatest food on earth, I don't know, I'm guessing, or go with me, tacos and pizza, all that good stuff. Why would I ever neglect that? Never mind the obesity problem that I'm having. There's only two reasons. 
And there's only two reasons that we would neglect this great salvation message. Number one, you've come to know the salvation and you don't think it's very great. And I have a concern for that. I have a very deep concern that for the longest time, following Jesus has been portrayed as five steps of salvation, five acts of worship, put in your time, do your stuff, close the door, and there you go. And that's not joyful and desirous and exciting. That's ritual, habit, and boredom, and drudgery, and obligation. And I think people have come to the salvation, and they're saying, well, this doesn't seem very great. And I would say, in response, you're right. If that is your perspective of this salvation message, is we go to church and we go home, we just don't act as bad as everybody else out there, so we don't do all these terrible things because they're okay. They're, as long as they look worse than I look, and there's there you go. Well, then you're right. It's not very great. And I hope if you've come to the salvation message with that perspective, that I hope you could discard that. If you could just drag that to the trash can and hit delete, because that's not it. And if you're if you grew up in the pews, you probably have that. I grew up with that. This kind of perspective. That's all it is. Do your stuff. Do the ritual. Do the habit. Go to church. It is a great salvation. But not from that vantage point. You have to come to know its greatness by coming to know God. Not by through various outward activities. That's not going to get you there. Those will only encourage your own walk with God as you're pursuing Him on your own. Our coming together will encourage that. Our worship together will bolster that. But this is not the substitution for it. If this is the sum total of your spirituality that you get, if this is the total influx of God and relationship that you have with Him is on Sunday, your raft has drifted way, way down the river. You know we're near. I think we found a salvation where we don't think it's great. Second reason we would neglect it is we don't know it at all and don't realize it's great. You've never tasted fish tacos to see that it's good. And until you do, you won't know its greatness. Quiet. <laughs> yeah, there's only one mogger. Everybody else thinks it's great. <laughs> It's ultimately the point. We're in one of two positions. You either come to the salvation and you don't think it's great or you haven't come to it at all and don't know it's great. That's it. It's the only reason we neglect it. Because we don't neglect things we desire. Simple as that. So if we're neglecting, we're in one of two positions. You don't know it at all. Or you think you know it. And you don't see how great it is. And my encouragement to you then is to pay closer attention and see the greatness for yourself. Have you spent time for yourself in the Word of God and seen how great it is? Just you and God. Not here, not what I'm doing with you. 
Not group Bible classes, just you, God, and quietness. Shut the TV off, turn the computer off, get off the couch, just you and God. Every day, you and God. I've had the privilege over the past couple of weeks, I have been working through Deuteronomy. And you'd go, oh my, Deuteronomy. I cannot tell you how excited I am for Deuteronomy in 2019. I am bursting with fruitful labor and joy to be able to do Deuteronomy. It is amazing! I had a totally bad idea of the book and I got to finally go through it all by myself with my color pencil. Like I showed you those Bibles a few months ago. Got my color pencils and markers and drawing all over and see it. It's amazing! Taste and see that the Lord is good. The reason we neglect a great salvation is because ultimately we don't think it's very great. And I'm challenging you if you're neglecting you're a part of Christ is that you're missing out on something. You're coming about it the wrong way. You're looking at it from the wrong angle. And you have not given yourself to the message of Jesus and spent time in His Word and given it all of your effort. And you will desire it. And you will enjoy it. And it will become something to you where you will shut everything else out in your life and you will pursue it. Because it will give you the life change. It will change everything about who you are. It will provide everything that God has promised and will bless you every step of the way in that process in bringing you closer to Him. It will do it. But you have to give yourself to it. You can't stand back and go, ah, it's no good for me. Pay closer attention to the message that we have heard. Otherwise, we're drifting. We need to see that joy, experience that joy. And we come together and communicate that joy. We teach that joy to our kids. This word is amazing. This Look at this. This is un- unbelievable. All we communicate to our children is go to church. Well, great. That's not it either. See how glorious God is. Come into the word of God. Pick up one of those New Testament books if you haven't done it. And enjoy it and immerse yourself in it and read it. Please do it. It's amazing to me that here is the writer of Hebrews saying, You have been given the greatest message, given by the Son of God Himself, confirmed by the apostles, confirmed by God through miracles and wonders and signs and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we say, you know, let's watch the news. Let's do something else. Friends, you have a great salvation in your hands. Will you please give yourself to it with all of your heart? Can we help you do that? There's an invitation to you today. Turn away from your sins to believe in Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sins. If you haven't been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. These are the starting points of a relationship with Him. And I understand that I've said some challenging things today. Do you need help with where you're at? Perhaps you have drifted and you feel like you're so far down the river and over a few waterfalls and how am I ever going to get back? We're here to help you. I want to help you. Dan and Emma want to help you. Everybody in this room wants to help you in your pursuit of Jesus.
let us help you. Tell us your need. Tell us that we can be of some assistance to you in some way. Otherwise, we assume we're all together. But if you need help, we want to help you. I knew we can do so. Why don't you come while we stand?